Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hey there. Welcome to today's program. I'm glad that you uh, were able to join in, either live or by listening to the recorded version of the program, either through the Lives in a Balance website or by having the program uh, downloaded into your iPod. Um, By special request, I'm going to spend today doing an overview of Plan B. I've done a program similar to this a pretty long time ago, but um, people have been requesting that I do this. People are finding the program that I did on how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems on January 23, 2012, to be extremely helpful. So I thought I would do another program today on the ins and outs of Plan B, and that'll give us two foundation programs that people can listen to anytime they want to be refreshed on how to do this stuff. Because as our good friend from uh, the educators panel, Tom Ambrose, principal at Morse Street School in Freeport, Maine, loves to say, and now I've begun loving to say it as well, collaborative problem solving is fundamentally simple and really hard. Let's talk about the fundamentally simple part of Plan B first. Uh, There are three steps for doing Plan B. They are called the empathy step, the define the problem step, and the invitation step. The problem, of course, with the names of the steps is that they really don't tell you what's going on inside of each step. Even though behaviorally challenging students are deserving of our empathy, empathy is not the main ingredient of the empathy step. The main ingredient of the empathy step is information gathering and understanding. Gathering information about and understanding the student's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem we're discussing with him or her proactively right now. Students have information to give us, information to give us about what's getting in their way on a specific unsolved problem. We want that information badly because if we do not gather that information, then we will not understand what's getting in the student's way and we will not get this problem solved. We want to know. 
That's the empathy step. But empathy is not the main ingredient of the empathy step. The main ingredient of the empathy step is information gathering and understanding. Now, that's the fundamentally simple part. Those of you who've tried the empathy step also know that it is really, really hard to do. But we're going to be covering that on today's program. And then today's program will be a resource for anybody who wants to listen to the most current thinking on these three steps of Plan B. The define the problem step is where we are getting the adult's concern or perspective entered into consideration on the same unsolved problem that we're talking with the student about proactively right now. Adults have important concerns. The bad news is that those concerns usually lead the adult into plan A and in collaborative problem solving those concerns are leading us into plan B. Plan B is just a different way of solving problems. With plan B, you're solving the problems collaboratively. With plan A, you're solving them unilaterally. With plan A, you are gathering no information whatsoever about what's getting in the student's way. That's why I refer to solutions that are achieved through use of plan A I refer to them often not only as unilateral solutions, but also as uninformed solutions. They are solutions that are uninformed by all the information we could be gathering from the student in that empathy step of plan B. Same unsolved problem, different approach to solving it. Collaborative, not unilateral. But to do that, we have to get the adult's concern or perspective entered into consideration, and that's where the define the problem step comes in. Now, that's the fundamentally simple part. The hard part is actually doing it, and we'll talk about the hard parts during today's program. Third ingredient, the invitation. Now, I call it the invitation because I like the idea of inviting the student to solve the problem with us, but it probably would have been better called the brainstorming ingredient because the main ingredient of the invitation is brainstorming. This is where adult and student are brainstorming solutions, but as always say, a highly specialized type of solution, a solution that's going to address the concerns of both parties, concerns we learned as much as possible about in those first two ingredients of Plan B, and that's why... Those first two ingredients come first. How can we start thinking of solutions when we don't know what the concerns of both parties are yet? We can't. Why does the empathy step come first? Because if we start with our concerns, the student is going to think we're doing plan A, and because that's what plan A sounds like, but also because the student is going to be far more receptive to hearing about your concerns when he feels he's been heard and legitimized first. All right. When you're doing those three ingredients, you are doing plan B. And remember, the ideal timing here is proactive plan B. Proactive plan B made possible by the fact that We already had our discussion with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as our discussion guide. 
we've already used, so we already know what the student's lagging skills are. We already know what the specific unsolved problems are. Remember, uh, problem solving is going to be primarily focused on the unsolved problems, not the lagging skills. We've used the Plan B flowchart to decide which unsolved problems are our top priorities, in other words, which ones we're working on right now and which ones we're not. See, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, as you've heard me say on this program before, sets the stage for this entire enterprise to be proactive. We're planning for Plan B. So now let's move beyond the fundamentally simple part of the empathy step, which is to gather information so as to achieve the clearest possible understanding of the kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. And now let's spend quite a bit of time talking about what's hard. What's hard? Well, just the wording to get the empathy step going, just to get the plan B ball rolling, the very beginning of the empathy step, can be hard. Plan B begins with an observation about an unsolved problem, usually with the words, I've noticed that, and then what we're doing is we are inserting into the sentence a highly specific unsolved problem, the highly specific unsolved problem we intended to be talking with the student about proactively right now, and then we're ending this initial part of the empathy step with an initial inquiry like, what's up? I've noticed that it's very hard for you to come in from recess and get settled down to work. What's up? I've noticed that um, those double-digit division problems in math seem to be very hard for you. What's up? I've noticed it's been very hard for you to um, get started on those paragraphs in writer's workshop, especially when we're asking for a lot of details. What's up? Notice that um kind of hard for you when you're sitting next to Patrick during circle time or morning meeting. What's up? I've noticed that. Highly specific unsolved problem. What's up? Uh, that can be very hard. Many times people, first of all, don't do this proactively. So, so your buzzwords here for the empathy step, for this beginning of the empathy step, are proactive. Good luck trying to solve complicated problems in the heat of the moment when, when it's already hot. Good luck. And yet that's when we often do it. It's got to be neutral, you're not using words like refusing or using a certain tone or letting your assumptions about what's really going on with the kid get in the way. You're neutral, and you're being specific. If you've listened to the program in which I described how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, then you know it's really important to be highly specific about the unsolved problems. Of course, it's not always clear to people why it's so important to be highly specific about them, but when you start doing Plan B, it becomes clear why it's important to be highly specific about them. If you're not highly specific about the unsolved problems, 
there's an excellent chance plan B is going nowhere. Here's what not specific would sound like. I, I've noticed that you uh, hit... What's up? That's not specific at all. First of all, he's hitting in a variety of different circumstances. It, it's the specific conditions in which he's hitting that are the unsolved problems. Hitting's not the unsolved problem. I agree that hitting is a problem, but hitting is not the unsolved problem. Hitting is what the kid does when he's looking bad. Hitting is what the student does because the unsolved problems are still unsolved. And as long as we work with this kid on hitting or being disrespectful or screaming or swearing or any of the other behaviors that are on the spectrum of looking bad, I have this bad feeling that none of the problems that are setting those behaviors in motion are going to get solved. No. The unsolved problems are the specific conditions in which the kid is looking bad, in which challenging behaviors are occurring, not the challenging behaviors themselves. This is so crucial. A lot of kids won't talk to you if you start plan B with a behavior. Throwing their behavior at them, they're not talking. They will talk about the unsolved problems that are setting those behaviors in motion in the first place, and now we don't even have to bring up the behavior. All we got to do is bring up the unsolved problem. So number one, if we focus on behavior, the kid may not talk to us. Number two, if we focus on the behavior, then when we get to the invitation, we're trying to figure out what the kid should do instead of that behavior a replacement behavior. And here's what I find. Whatever behavior we think he should replace his challenging behavior with, that solution is not going to solve the problem that is setting the stage for the challenging behavior in the first place. This just came up in some supervision I'm doing with a school. Um, I told them that they were the inspiration for what I was going to be covering on today's program Let's say we come up with a solution for being disrespectful, which is a behavior. And let's say the solution is using different words. But let's say that the unsolved problem setting in motion the disrespectful behavior is difficulty coming in from recess and settling down for the next activity. Is using different words going to solve the problem? of the student having difficulty coming in from recess and settling down for the next activity? No way. Another major downside of starting with a behavior. The alternative behavior isn't a solution for the unsolved problem that set in motion the behavior in the first place. As I told the folks who I was just working with, you get that part down, you get that distinction down pat. Boy, are you moving forward with collaborative problem solving. Now, if the unsolved problem isn't specific enough, I noticed that you're skipping class. What's up? Well, that's not specific enough because the student is skipping multiple classes, and we might find out that the reason the student is skipping music is because the student was supposed to be in chorus, not band. And the reason the student is skipping 
math is because he or she doesn't understand what's going on in math. What that tells us is that the solution to the music problem is going to be completely different than the solution to the math problem, which means that there is no generic solution to skipping, only very specific solutions to the specific classes the student is skipping, We want to be specific. Uh, we want to split that unsolved problem into two. Skipping class, I wouldn't run with that. Now, skipping is a behavior, too. I've noticed that it's been hard for you to go to music lately. Difficulty getting to and participating in music would be a pretty specific unsolved problem. Difficulty going to and participating or completing the work in math would be a highly specific unsolved problem. Of course, it's in the empathy step where we would understand the student's concern or perspective about those unsolved problems, and then, then, after we get our solution, our concern entered into consideration, now we can actually start thinking of solutions. Boy, it's easy to come up with the replacement behavior. That's easy. We No thinking involved there. We know what we want the kid doing instead. It's much harder to figure out what the kid's concern or perspective is on the unsolved problems that are setting in motion the challenging behaviors. That's harder. This is harder. Much more productive in the end. We could come up with replacement behaviors till the cows come home and still know nothing about what was setting in motion the student's challenging behaviors in the first place. You get the details. You get the info. In the empathy step... Uh, you're not going to be coming up with replacement behaviors. You and the kid are going to be working collaboratively on coming up with solutions. After you say what's up, one of six things is going to happen next. Possibly number one, and this is where this really gets hard. As hard as it is to be proactive, neutral, and specific in the empathy step, it's after we say what's up where things really get hard. Possibility number one, he says something. Possibility number two, he says nothing. Possibility number three, he says, I don't know. Possibility number four, he says, I don't have a problem with that. Drives adults crazy, that one. Possibility number five, the kid says, I don't want to talk about it. Possibility number six, the kid responds defensively and says something like, I don't have to talk to you or leaves the room completely. If you know how to handle those six scenarios and you know how to do a nice, proactive, specific, neutral observation at the beginning of the empathy step, all you need next is practice. Let's take them one at a time. If the kid says something, whatever he says probably isn't specific enough for you to have the clearest sense of his concern or perspective on this unsolved problem. One of the biggest mistakes adults make in the empathy step is that they move beyond the empathy step and move straight into the define the problem step after the kid has responded once to what's up. Mm. I think you're going to be in the empathy step a lot longer than that. But 
you're going to need to probe for more information, and that's a process that I call drilling, drilling for information. And drilling for information is really hard. I often say that drilling for information is the hardest part of all of Plan B because it, um, it's the part where most adults are most likely to throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. I got five strategies for you, five drilling strategies. Strategy number one, asking questions beginning with the words who, what, where, and when. What What was Chad doing on the school bus that was um, making you mad? When was uh, Billy giving you a hard time about your haircut? Going to get some good information that way. Strategy number two, asking about why the unsolved problem occurs under some conditions and not others. Uh, help me understand this. You, you and Chad get along very well during choice time. It's in recess where you all have trouble with each other. Help me understand that better. Why do you sometimes get along with him and sometimes not? Going to get very good information that way. You're drilling if you're breaking the unsolved problem down into its component parts. Many problems have component parts to them. Reading certainly does. Writing certainly has components to it. Uh, coming in in the morning and getting ready for the day has components. Uh, getting packed up and getting ready for the school bus at the end of the day has components. Coming in from recess and settling down to the next activity has components, but a lot of kids don't think in component parts. So we may have to do that thinking for them so that they can pinpoint for us which parts of this scenario are hard. You're drilling if you're asking the student what he or she is thinking in the midst of the unsolved problem. Adults are frequently tempted to ask the student what he or she is feeling, and I have no allergy to asking a kid what he or she is feeling. It's just that the answer to that question usually doesn't provide me with the information I'm looking for about the kid's concern or perspective on an unsolved problem, so I find that thinking is usually more informative than feeling. What were you thinking when uh, Mrs. Johnson told you she wasn't going to help you with that uh, social studies project? I was thinking that if she didn't help me with the social studies project, then I wouldn't be able to do the introduction, and I wouldn't be able to really get started on it, and then I'm just going to get in trouble because she thinks I'm not working on it. Well, no, there's a concern or perspective that would be worth hearing about. And you're drilling if you're using clarifying statements like, how so? I don't quite understand. I'm confused. Can you say more about that? What do you mean? You're drilling. You're getting lots of info. That's the hardest part of doing all of Plan B. Many adults throw the towel in because they're not exactly sure what to say. But if you want to have an easy tool for helping you know what to say, just get on the Lives and the Balance website, go to the paperwork section, and print out the Plan B cheat sheet. And you could have that in front of you as you're doing Plan B. 
What else is hard? Not being a genius is hard. Many adults enter Plan B thinking they already know what the kid's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem, so they really do not see the point in trying to figure it out. But I must tell you, the vast majority of the time that I find adults think they already know what the kid's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem, they are wrong. That's why we're trying to find out. So what you're shooting for here is your aha moment. That moment at which you say, aha, got it. I finally understand what this student's concern or perspective is on this unsolved problem. What else is hard? We're still in the empathy step. What else is hard? Um, thinking in the midst of the empathy step is hard. Um, what I mean by that is this. You know how uh, pro football players, some of you do know this and some of you don't. I've, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about pro football, but there is something football players coming from college into the pros say frequently. They say the pro game is much faster and that it took a while for the game to slow down for them. But then the game does slow down for them, and then they start thinking about the game less technically and feel like they really have their sea legs under them, and it becomes much more comfortable for them, and now they can actually start thinking in the midst of the empathy step again instead of just thinking about what they should say. I find that you do probably need to be technical early on because you're becoming accustomed to drilling for information. But um, eventually the game slows down for you, and you're not thinking so technically anymore about what you should be doing in the empathy step, and you're thinking more about what's actually going on in the empathy step. The game slowed down for you. What could you be thinking in the midst of the empathy step? You could be thinking, what don't I understand yet about this student's concern or perspective? What part of the picture is still incomplete for me? If I was to put myself in the student's shoes in the midst of this unsolved problem, what don't I understand yet about what's going on in his head, and therefore what do I need to ask next so as to understand it better? That's what you're thinking. What's going to get in the way of you thinking that? The uniquely adult tendency to already be thinking of solutions. You're not thinking about solutions in the empathy step. That's just going to get in the way of you thinking about what you don't yet understand about the student's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're talking with them about. You're not thinking about solutions in the empathy step. The empathy step is a solution-free zone. Also hard, a few more pointers here. You want to remember that drilling isn't the same thing as grilling. You want to remember that Drilling involves listening, not lessening. Lessening in the form of 
L-E-S-S-O-N-I-N-G. You're not teaching any lessons in the empathy step. Lessening, L-E-S-S-E-N-I-N-G. This is where you are dismissing the student's concerns or trumping them with your own. There is no trumping in collaborative problem solving. Also hard, you're staying neutral and non-defensive throughout the empathy step. A lot of adults do a good job of being neutral and non-defensive, getting the empathy step going, but then the student starts talking, and the adult doesn't like what the student is saying, and then the adult starts becoming a lot less neutral and a lot more defensive. This is hard, but you kind of got to suspend your emotional response because the empathy step is not about you. The define the problem step is about you, but the empathy step isn't. A lot of adults want to rush through the empathy step, but you're not in a hurry. If you you hurry through the empathy step, you're just going to come up. If you don't have a very clear sense of the student's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem, then the solutions you come up with are going to be a reflection of the fact that you don't yet know enough about the student's concern or perspective to be solving the problem yet. You're really curious. You really want to know. The empathy step is an adventure. Boy, you're going to be finding out all kinds of stuff about what's getting in this student's way. You've left your assumptions at the door. You're being proactive. You've left your judgments at the door. You're doing the empathy step. And you're not ready to leave the empathy step until you have the clearest possible understanding of the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're talking with him about proactively right now. All right. How about some of the other possibilities for what could happen after you say what's up? Well, another possibility is that the student doesn't talk. He says, I don't know, or goes silent on you. What should you do then? Well, number one, don't freak out if you're Doing plan B, you've got at least a 70 to 80% likelihood of hearing, I don't know, at some point during the empathy step. So just be ready for it. Don't freak out about it. And my first piece of advice is just keep drilling. But if that doesn't get you where you want it to go, there's some other things you could be thinking about here, about why that might be. Some of them having to do with you and not the student. Maybe you used plan A, not plan B. Maybe you used emergency plan B instead of proactive plan B. But those are conversation stoppers. Plan A and emergency plan B. No people don't get a lot of information that way. Maybe your neutral observation wasn't very neutral. Maybe... It wasn't very specific. Maybe the student doesn't trust you or the process yet. Maybe that's because he has a lot of experience with plan A. Maybe he's become accustomed to having his concerns blown off the table. I don't know can also mean that the student doesn't know. Maybe he hasn't thought about it before. Maybe 
you've never asked before. Maybe he stopped thinking about his concerns a long time ago. He might need the problem broken down into its component parts. He might need time to think. If he needs time to think, we adults probably better be quiet. Might be having trouble putting his thoughts into words. Boy, so many possibilities for why a student wouldn't talk, none of them having anything to do, well, very little to do with the fact that he doesn't want to. I find that kids really want to be understood. Just might have to get through a little the residue of history before this kid wants to talk to you. What if he's still not talking after to use all those strategies? Well, then you've got educated guessing and hypothesis testing. Now, finally, your ideas about what could be going on could come in handy. Just make sure you're open to the possibility you're wrong. This is educated guessing. This is hypothesis testing. You really don't know. You're trying to find out. What if um, he says, I don't have a problem with that. A lot of adults freak out over that one, too, because they'll say to me, well, how can we work on a problem that he doesn't have a problem with? You could do it. You could do it. He doesn't have to have a problem with it to talk about it. He doesn't have to have a problem with it for you to gather information about it. And the truth is, I don't have a problem with it. It's often just the beginning of his concern or perspective on this unsolved problem. I'd just start drilling. Next possibility, he says, I don't want to talk about it. Now, this is an important one. Um, remember, you're neutral here in the empathy step, so you're not interpreting that to mean much of anything. You need to find out what it means. But the first thing you need to do is assume that he has a good reason for not wanting to talk about it and that we need to respect that. If you don't have a lot of history with the kid, you can also assume that him not wanting to talk about it has nothing to do with you. Good, now you can find out what it does have something to do with. First, I'd give the kid permission not to talk. A lot of kids will start talking just because you let them know they didn't have to. A lot of adults try so hard to get the kid to talk that they make it very difficult for the kid to talk. You don't want to do anything today that's going to reduce the likelihood of the student talking to you tomorrow because there's always tomorrow. And yes, I know, we are in a rush. I know we are pressed for time. I know that the school day wasn't configured in a way that permitted us to gather the information we need from our students who we most badly need to hear from. I know that. So often this brings up the issue of time. He's got to talk in these next 10 minutes because we're not going to have time to do it again until next week. I get it. I also think that that issue speaks to a much larger issue of priorities, the way the day is set up, 
time, many buildings that have implemented collaborative problem solving found early on that they weren't going to have time to talk to their most vulnerable students so long as the schedule was business as usual. And so they stopped doing business as usual. They made time an unsolved problem. Yes, you just did hear a dog, if you heard it, because um, a kid who I'm going to be seeing next sometimes brings her dog in for the sessions. Um, there you go. <laughs> See? Creativity. But um, also an indication that in collaborative problem solving, you, you do what you got to do to set the stage for it to be comfortable because you badly want information. That's what the empathy step is all about, gathering information. You don't want to do anything today that's going to reduce the likelihood of the kid talking to you tomorrow because there's always tomorrow. And if we're thinking, I don't have time to do this tomorrow, that's a building-wide unsolved problem. Because what we're really saying is we don't have time to talk to the kid, to all most vulnerable students in the building, about the unsolved problems that are causing them to behave maladaptively in the first place. We don't ever want to say that. Finally, what if the kid gets defensive? Um, I don't have to talk to you. I'm probably just going to go honest. Uh, no, you don't have to talk to me. You're not my boss. Not your boss. You can't make me talk. I can't make you talk. You may want to reassure the student that you're not using plan A, but he may not know what plan A is. In fact, it's highly likely he doesn't know what plan A is, so you can't say I'm not using plan A, but you can say I'm not telling you what to do because you're not. You're not in trouble because he's not. I'm not mad at you because you're not. I'm just trying to understand, because you are. The goal of the empathy step is to understand. Here's the cool part. Every behaviorally challenging kid I've ever worked with wanted their story to be told, wanted people to understand. You got that working for you in the empathy step. You don't want to do anything that's going to shut off the flow of information. Now, here's what I'm thinking. It took me 40 minutes to just cover the empathy step. The define the problem step and the invitation aren't going to take that long. But they are going to take us to a different program because... There's only five minutes left in this program, and that's not enough time to cover those two ingredients. So let me think here about what else I can tell you about the empathy step besides the fact that it's fundamentally simple but really hard. 
we spend so much time focused on replacement behaviors that we end up not solving the problems that are setting in motion those behaviors in the first place. That's a big point. We spend a lot of time trying to get the empathy step rolling with behavior, not a specific unsolved problem. We waste a lot of time being so vague about the unsolved problem that the student has no idea what we're gathering information about. Guess what I'm really doing here is summarizing the hard parts. But you got the plan B cheat sheet. You've got drilling strategies. You've got video on the Lives in the Balance website showing you what it all looks like. I think there's only one thing left. Practice. Practice. And of course, you can always call in to the program and get feedback if it's not going so well. That's the whole point of this program, not only to provide content like what I'm doing today, but also to give you the opportunity to call in and ask questions or to email me through the contact form on the Lives in a Balance website so that I can answer your question live on the air. And that is exactly what I'm going to start doing again next week on this program. I'm going to start answering questions again. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to cover the rest of the plan B, the other ingredients of plan B. What I'm checking here is to see, do we have any town high school on with us next week? And let me take a look here, and I'll tell you real quick. I didn't have that open in my browser. Let's see. Is next week in any town week? It is not. So next week, I'm going to be covering the define the problem step and the invitation. Then we'll get back to your questions, and I've been getting some good ones. But I'm glad you were able to listen in today to this because I think this is something a lot of people had been hoping I would do as a uh, follow-up to the program on how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. So I'm going to end a little bit early today because, um, well, I'm allowed to do that. Here's the ending. Hope this information has been useful to you today. Know what I've never done before? That. I've never begun the ending and then stopped the ending, and I've always wanted to do that. And here with two and a half minutes left in today's program, I finally had the opportunity. But now I'm really going to end the program. Talk to you next week.